0: This is the Pro Football Doc Podcast with Dr. David Chow. As a practicing orthopedic surgeon who's performed hundreds of procedures on NFL players and is the former longtime head team physician for the San Diego Chargers, Dr. Chow uses his insider knowledge to decipher injuries to a documented 95% accuracy level. He's the SiriusXM Sports Medical Analyst and is quoted everywhere from SportsCenter to NFL Live. More than 100,000 followers can't be wrong following him on Twitter, looking for his instant insights on injuries during games. Now, Dr. David Chow, the Pro Football Doc.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pro Football Doc podcast. Time to figure out who goes to the Super Bowl. Divisional round is over. Conference championships coming up next. We have lots to talk about here. Let's uh, welcome to the show our producer, Greg Peterson
2: hey dr chow happy tuesday to you how are you
1: i'm doing fine do i detect an extra pep in your step and smile on your face here
2: oh absolutely we've got the green bay packers going to the (coughs) nfc championship game and we've got a packer joining us in the second segment well, yes.
1: Uh, thank you for setting it up. We do have a Packer joining us, a Packers Hall of Famer joining us. But but we actually hedged our best this week, right? Because uh, our special guest, Amon Green, is indeed in the Packers Hall of Fame. But he was drafted by the Seahawks and was a running back for the Seahawks, as opposed to last week when we brought on Ryan Westbrook uh, the day after the Phil- the Eagles <laughs> lost to the Seahawks.
2: <laughs> So well, you see what I did there.
1: <laughs> we hedged our bet this time, so it sounds good either way. But I can tell you're a little happier. Are you? Are you? Are you happier if your Packers win, or are you happier if you cash a ticket? Both. <laughs> you didn't answer the question. Yes. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, lots to talk about here, as always, and a couple of interesting things medically and injury-wise this week. First of all, I thought it was interesting. Did you see when Nick Bosa went down and he was down for a little bit and the Levi Stadium was chanting Bosa, Bosa, and then he kind of was, quote, resurrected from the dead WWE style? Hey, I see more and more crossover, right? I mean, George Kittle, this, that, the other. I mean, this whole WWE, Fox, who's put WWE on uh, network TV on Fridays, sandwiched between Thursday night football, Saturday college, and Sunday NFL. So I thought that was kind of fun and cool. And no, I don't think Nick Bosa's hurt. But there was an interesting tidbit to me. Nick Bosa afterwards said the medical staff told him to stay down uh, a little bit. And then, so he listened. I thought that was interesting. It brought up some stories there. Look, I am never going to be for faking injuries, getting free timeouts, things like that. And I would not participate in faking injuries or doing that because not only is it disrespectful to the game, not only is it illegal, but really I think it's, it's crying wolf it's, you know, tempting fate and, uh you know, uh, karma is going to get you. You pretend to have an injury and then there's really going to be one. So, I've never participated in pretending to have an injury, but I thought it was, and I would not condone it, but I thought it was interesting that Bosa's medical staff told him to stay down. Now, he didn't get into why. There are several reasons. One reason is, stay down let us check you out make sure you don't have anything that's certainly one reason another reason is stay down because we don't want you to sit up too quickly because based on the injury you had to the abdomen or whatever if you sit up too quickly you might get lightheaded medical reasons blood pressure shift reasons but there are other reasons too to stay down sometimes just your team needs a breather and, uh, look, there's nothing illegal about evaluating you further on the field than off the field. Look, if Nick Bosa went down without an injury, I think that's wrong and bad. But if he went down with an injury, if the medical staff decides, let's take a little more time to get right. I don't think that's wrong or bad. Uh, I don't, not saying fake injury, but, uh, use things to your advantage since he was injured since he's going to have to come out for at least one play. Maybe, I don't know, I wasn't there, maybe the 49ers medical staff were being smart and saying, look, we think you're okay, let's give it another minute because you're going to miss the next play anyways, but let's be ready to go two plays from now. So just take a second here as opposed to, running off the field, needing more time on the sidelines, and missing more plays. I don't know, but I thought that was an interesting little uh, insight to how medical might be handling things uh, and uh, so forth. What are your thoughts on that, Greg?
2: I think the big thing is, like you were saying, just not faking an injury in general if the guy has, for some reason, something that he needs a few more minutes to get checked out. Because like, when you get the wind knocked out of you, for example – it's one of those things where you're in a lot of pain for about 60 to 90 seconds, but right when it goes away, then you're fine. So as long as it's one of those ordeals, perfectly fine with it.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, like I said, I've never participated in the faking of an injury, and I wouldn't want to go there. But, you know, look, NFL players say all the time, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. On every play, uh, the offensive linemen are trying to hold just a little bit, but not. Enough to get called. The wide receiver is trying to shoulder or push off just a little bit, but not get called. The DBs are grabbing just a little bit. And I look at it this way you never want to mess around with medicine. But if there's something within the confines of what you're doing medically, uh, I don't think it uh, was wrong of the 49ers to do that. I mean, I will. Uh, should I admit to a story, Greg? <laughs> Please do? Hey, it's probably pretty common for a team to say, just stay down here for a second. Your team is gassed or something, or just take another minute here so you can come back. That's probably whatever the boats and not that uncommon. I remember a situation where our center, very proud Nick Hardwick, was walking off the field. He knows this story, so it's not any HIPAA. He was like something with his arm pain going down the arm, and he knew he couldn't go, so he walks toward the sideline. It's not uncommon for someone to say, go down, right? For the team to say, go down. Why? Give you a chance to sub. Perhaps the the quarterback wants to take a snap from the backup center. And I heard everyone saying, go down. I I met Nick and I started examining him. But instead of ushering him straight off the field, I think I was justified to examine. Anytime you have pain going down your arm, the first thing you got to make sure it's not your neck. Medically, you know that. People know that. So I just made sure I'd examined his neck. For a half second, just to make sure that he was okay to get off the field. And the referee was coming over to hurry us up. He saw me examining his neck. He let us alone. A couple practice snaps and Nick came off the field. I don't think that's cheating. It's cheating if Nick didn't have an injury and I, and it's cheating if there was no reason to examine his, ne- his neck, but there was legitimate reason to do so. So within the confines of the game, it is what it is. So that happens now again. Anyways, the second topic I wanted to cover is self-reporting from Carson Wentz. You know, the week before recently we said, look at what's changed. Look, I'm confident that if a quarterback self-reported a decade ago in 2010, there'd be a lot of side-eye at that quarterback. Come on, let's go, you're a leader. But I was really glad to see that at least among football players and among teams and among major pundits, nobody gave Carson, grief, Carson Wentz any grief, nor should they. I did see a little bit of, you know, is he injury prone? Because he now, quote, hasn't finished three seasons. But certainly he's not. I mean, he got hit in the head. And uh, the word that I hear through the grapevine and others is, it wasn't like he saw momentary stars and he begged out. I mean, he was a little confused on the sideline. <laughs> so good on him that he ultimately reported it. And uh, look, if a quarterback's confused, even if he doesn't report it, one of his teammates nowadays is going to report it. And that's the right thing to do. Uh, So I hope no one gives Carson Wentz any grief about it. He's not injury prone, but I just like the way how self-reporting has sort of changed over the last decade in terms of what is or isn't accepted. And then finally, Greg, the third thing that we'll talk about before we get to Amon Green and then the injury rundown and the beast of the week stuff is the Redskins. I love that Ron Rivera is the new head coach of the Redskins. I love that Scott Turner is the new offensive coordinator. I have good personal experience with both those guys and think they're awesome. I have the utmost respect for Ron. Obviously, the utmost respect for Norv. Scott's dad, but also Scott. So good guys, good men, and I think they will change the Redskins culture. But the reason why I bring it up, they made a change, the Redskins did, with the head athletic trainer, brought over the Carolina Panthers guy. And they also made a change by hiring Kevin Wilk, a longtime physical therapist for Dr. Andrews from Alabama. And I've been getting a lot of questions Well, they're doing that to woo Trent Williams. Maybe. Uh, will it work? I think that I still don't know the details of Trent Williams in terms of who he really was upset with. We've talked about it. He doesn't seem to be upset with Dan Snyder. They've made changes at the GM position in the front office. I don't know if Trent Williams is upset at them. Maybe from putting him on a non-football injury this year and not paying him. So maybe that GM change was something that Trent Williams will like. He clearly expressed some displeasure at the medical staff, but it's not clear to me whether it was at doctors, athletic trainers, former doctors, current doctors, previous athletic trainers. I mean, this whole scout thing started six years ago. The current physicians have only been there a few years, so I don't know that he's mad at the current physicians. And by the way, they haven't changed. There's a sponsorship deal with ANOVA, and I don't think that's going to change. They changed out the athletic trainer. I don't know. If that athletic trainer was involved in saying, Trent, you're fine. Don't worry about your scalp or not, or whether he was just taking the word of the doctors. But fresh change might not be bad for them. And Kevin Wilk coming on board. Look, I think Mr. Wilk is an excellent physical therapist. I've had dealings with him. He's been Jim Andrews' right-hand man for a long time. But my understanding is he's going to be a consultant. He's not moving from Alabama to the D.C. area. Look, Jim Andrews has been a team physician for the Redskins for almost a decade. When Robert Griffin III was injured and put back into the game, Jim Andrews was a team physician. I don't know that adding Kevin Wilk will make a oh-my-gosh difference because he's not going to be in-house or in the building, just like Jim Andrews is not daily in-house or in the building. It's a good step. I think the biggest reason to be able to woo Trent Williams back is the fact that Rob Rivera is there that there's a new front office. Some of these medical changes I think might be more token and I don't think in and of itself is going to convince Trent Williams to come back, but I'll bet Ron Rivera does because he's going to have a whole new attitude and I think he and Trent Williams will get on very nicely. I guess all I'm saying is great hire, great addition, Kevin Wilk, but I don't know that that automatically brings back Trent Williams. But the whole picture I think indeed may. So that was some interesting maneuvers last week as well. All right, well, let's take a break and we'll be right back and we'll bring on our Packers guests since the Packers won. Well, no, just kidding. Very much looking forward to having uh, Amon Green on the show.
0: This is the Pro Football Doc Podcast with Dr. David Shaff. All right, welcome
1: back to segment two of the Pro Football Doc Podcast. Very, very pleased to have special guest on. Green Bay, long-time running back and Green Bay Hall of Famer, but also drafted by the Seattle Seahawks, so you can comment on yesterday's game. Amon Green, welcome to the show, Pro Football Doc Podcast.
3: Hey, thanks for having me again. How are you guys doing?
1: We're doing great, and uh, thank you for taking the time. I mean, especially uh, for agreeing to come on a podcast who's uh host oh. you don't even know. I mean, I've never talked to you before, so thank you very much for agreeing to do this. Yeah, no problem. No problem. But I hear problem lots problem. of good things about you, lots of good things through mutual people, so I'm uh, thrilled to have you on. Uh, what do you think about the game?
3: Oh, uh, sue I thought it was a great game uh, from both sides of the ball. You know, from Seattle's side of the ball, they – For the last two games and the last, you know, that last game of the regular season when they lost both their starter and their backup running back. And Pete Carroll and that coaching staff had took the opportunity to reach out to Marshawn Lynch and to do what they needed to do to get some sort of a run game because they knew, you know, any good team and any good coaching staff knows to get to the playoffs and through the playoffs. You got to have a pass game and you got to have a run game. So thank God that Marshawn was still in some type of running back shape, football playing shape to help him come back in. But I knew that uh, that adjustment they had to make and do was going to, you know, that, that was their that was their weakness, you know, not having a run game at the time they needed most in the, in the regular se- or in the season in playoffs coming up. And so in this game, I didn't know which way it was going to go. I knew Russell Wilson was going to play the way he played. He's a guy that he doesn't quit until the game's over. You know, he's going to do whatever he to, you know, pull push out any type of life of a play. Or drive that looks like it's going nowhere. A play that looks like it's stalled. He's going to scramble around like he did like he did the whole game to get guys open to pick up a first down, things of that nature. So I knew their game was going to be more of a patchwork type situation. You know, whatever play works, we'll we'll make it happen because we only have this. You know, offensively, even though I have DK Metcalf, the young rookie out of Ole Miss uh, or Mississippi, that is just had an outstanding season so far. They without that run game with, with Christian Carson and Post sides being held, you know, for most of the year too, those guys just made that offense work. But now they have to basically run on fumes and they did it in the first round, got the victory. But then having to do it again, I think it was tough being in the elements and then facing a good Green Bay defense. Because, you know, in my opinion, they definitely have, uh you know, showed their, you know, their worth to that team and why they're 13, uh, you know, 14 and three now going into the NFC championship game next week. And then Green Bay side of it, and the only thing I was worried about due to the playoff side of it is just the offense. The offense has been slow starting in the last three weeks prior to the playoff starting. Defensively, they showed up, and uh, offensively, it was just, you know, they start slow, but then at the end of the game, between Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones, they got the offense going. And as anybody knows, if you're a sports fan, you know that usually in a playoff situation, you know, playoff games—you got to start fast because trying to come back in a playoff game. But we've been proven wrong, just like you know, Kansas City with Pat Mahomes and his squad, what they did <laughs> coming coming back from 21 points down to win the game by 20 was uh, something that any sports fan got proven wrong, or would think, okay, man, if you start a game that slow, you're not going to have a chance to win the game. But as we saw, you know, Pat Mahomes did it, and, and Green Bay—they didn't start slow, but they started to make plays. It wasn't big scoring. I can, I kind of knew this game was going to be a scoring standpoint like that, be low scoring, but it was still yeah. tight. And Seattle, they tried to, you know, push hope, you know, good effort, but just was. I, I, they, they just weren't at full, full firepower.
1: I think you're absolutely right by injuries, not only the running backs you mentioned, but also Rashad Penny as well. And, you know, nothing against Travis Homer and, and really Russell Wilson kind of was, became a running back almost, right? And Marshawn Lynch, though, I mean, you got to hand it to him. He came back, but describe how hard it is or, or Let's say if you were out of football for a season, even if you were working out, how hard is that to be able to come back and how long would it take for you to be in football shape? Assuming you were working out the whole time, but just to get into the to the swing of football and football shape, that is not easy. I look at it, you know, I don't play football and I have never played at your level, but the game is not that easy. It's too hard, no matter how talented you are, to just come off the street, so to speak, and be successful. So what Marshawn was able to do is pretty good. But what do you, what do you think about that?
3: i say from a
1: standpoint, like I said, like you mentioned, if I've still been
3: working out a whole year. And so after I, you know, f- officially retired, I know for a fact, cause I did it, um, in 2009, I was, I hadn't retired, but I wasn't on the team starting the 09 season and I had been working out consistently. And then Green Bay brought me back in October. So it probably took, I knew it was going to take me a good, Solid two weeks to really get in football shape, because working out and conditioning in the off season, or if you're un, you know, if you're not on the roster and you're just working out daily just to stay in shape, you're not in football shape. You are in shape enough to to get ready to get in football shape, and because football shape is getting hit and falling down and then tackling if you're on defense and doing all the technical stuff at your position. So that's the football shape, and then that cardio is a little different. I mean, it's hard to really train. In football shape you know i've seen guys jump in swimming pools and do their football mem- movements underwater um put on heavy suits or weighted jackets weighted vests rucksacks that simulate carrying stuff on you know because you then you put on the helmet the shoulder pad which all adds weight so trying to simulate playing football hitting getting tackled throwing the ball and all that stuff sometimes it gets tough but if you do it the right way you can you can manage that so i knew Physically, that if once I hit a few guys week to week, day to day, for when I brought back, it'll take me two weeks. So yeah. for Marshawn's standpoint, it was again, it was gradually, I was seeing him gradually get into his, this his style of running. It's physical. He kind of does these jump cuts that where he puts himself in a position to be um, same foot, same shoulder contact. And that same foot, same shoulder contact hurts. It's like hitting a tree stump. And he's already, and when yeah. you already have the size behind that, it makes it easier to basically intimidate guys early in the game to make guys think, you know, basically make guys have business decision thoughts come fourth quarter, <laughs> you know, being a running back or being no. a linebacker mm-hmm. that uses that type of technique. I saw him, mean, you know, if they would have somehow got past Green Bay or in a, a, a NFC championship game and Super Bowl, if they made it all the way there, they, that team and, you know, that they had to the face in the Super Bowl will have a problem because it'll be four weeks in now. He had a whole lot of football practices under his belt.
1: Yeah, and, and, and that's what it seems to me. It's minimum two weeks. Whether you're Melvin Gordon coming off a holdout or whatever, it's minimum two weeks to, to really kind of get back into it. And that's why you saw Marshawn getting more carries. This really was his uh, third week. But, uh, yeah, that's, it was pretty impressive uh, any way that you look at it. And the other thing that I say always is you talk about business decisions and getting hit. No question as a running back, you're the target, right? But if you had 20 carries – you might be out of bounds on three or four carries, but you get some pretty good contact on 16. You take 16 hits if you're carrying the ball 20 times, let's say. Those 16 hits by are are by eight different players. So they only <laughs> right suffered the collision of two hits. You suffered the collision of 16. That's what makes it hard on running backs, I think, right? I mean, you're always the target. Yeah. Uh,
3: you're always the target. Uh And you got to really kind of play like some – Running backs or things I used to do just to get myself ready to, for the game. And you could say some running backs psyched themselves out or psyched themselves up. And you just basically had to come into a realization that I'm going to get hit a lot. And you have to be OK with that. <laughs> and that's how you get going in the game. And then for me, that would be the one question I ask. I basically tell my or one statement I'll basically say in my head, hey, you about to get hit a lot for three hours. All right. I'm good with that. Cause I'm going to be doing a lot of the hitting too. Um, and then the one, <laughs> then, the, and then the other thing I wanted to do right away. I loved when we got the ball first. So we got the coin toss. We won. We wanted the ball. I said, great. I could get that first contact out the way. Cause it was more, you know, I, no matter what, I played every game. I was nervous. I had anxiety going on. Be ready before the game. But once I got that first contact, once somebody hit me or I, or I hit the ground from a tackle, boom, I was in the game. So I was like, all right, let's get this first. Hit out of way, out the way, so I could get in my groove quicker. So I could get in my rhythm with my linemen, my D line, you know, and uh, reading the defenses, you know, seeing if linebackers are blitzing, or safeties are crowning blitz, or corners trying to blitz from backside, things of that nature. And then I'm in the game.
1: Right. So you, so you like the contact? Contact. So
3: maybe that's answers the, answer to the love question. Love the contact. I mean, why you became a running
1: back? Because you were kind of born or destined to be a wide receiver, right?
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was
1: based on your naming. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, I was yeah based on the person I was named after. Uh, it was Ahmad Rashad. The y, he was a wide receiver. He was a sports analyst. He did football. He did basketball, mainly. But yeah, my mom liked the name. She just changed one of the letters. He was Ahmad with a D, and she put an N on my name. So that's why I was named after, Ahmad Rashad Green. And uh, but I mean, I just by saying Let's that say, decision, you
1: never. You, yes, you ne- you never toyed with the idea of being a wide receiver. You were always a running back.
3: So yeah, I played yes. wide receiver one year in Little League and it was just something I wanted to try out and I actually was pretty good at it because playing baseball, you know, I caught the ball a lot, but then the other part I found out, I was like, oh, it wasn't as physical. So, so when you were
1: little, my, you were a wide receiver.
3: Yeah, I played for one season and uh, playing wide out <laughs> and I liked it. It wasn't as physical, wasn't as physical. So it was interesting. I was like, oh, I don't get hit that much. I can still run and catch the ball and get tackled, but not hit all the time. So I just thought it was interesting.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. So uh, since this is an injury podcast and I'm an orthopedist and former team physician, do you, you got any uh, stories, anecdotes, whether it's uh, funny stories, medical staff stories, or worst injury comeback stories, or uh, uh, something injury-wise, be it Green Bay, Seattle, wherever you've been, that you want to share with us uh, uh-huh. the relationship with staffs. I'll leave it open-ended.
3: Okay, yeah, I've had had a lot of injuries <laughs> playing football. Um, I was very, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, between being physical and just the way I played, it just happened. It was, and it really doesn't matter if you're physical or not. You're gonna have some injuries in football because you're gonna be sprinting and might strain soft tissue with a hamstring or a calf or a hip or a rib, you know, with a pec muscle or something crazy. So I say my staff—they're probably the best. I say being in Green Bay, the best staff in the NFL then and now, and the things they would do, I mean, they went above and beyond being the typical NFL or a typical training staff. It doesn't matter what level. And I remember Flea, he was an assistant trainer then now he's the head trainer for the Green Bay Packers. And I remember him, he was my main, he was the guy I did most of my treatments with and most of my ankle tapings, or if I had an MCL sprain, he would put a tape job on it to keep my MCL, give it a little bit more support. But I remember one time I had, let's say, a mild turf toe um, injury going on that I was still playing through. And my a family member had mentioned, an older family member had mentioned, you know, take some honey and some mustard and mix it together. And you know, it helps with deals with inflammation, you know. So basically, an old mom's recipe of taking care of injuries. And I, I mentioned that to Flea, and he he went and bought the ingredients, and then and, and did it and, and massaged it on my toe, uh, and I can't. And between that and the meds I was on in terms of inflammation, well, I think that combination helped me, you know, deal with the pain a little bit more. The the, the, the injury eventually went away, but he would do things like that because he felt that, and in a in lot of the other trainers at that time in the training felt that. Look, we we're trying to do anything and everything to get you guys back on the field to play at a high level. So if I gotta go get an old mom's recipe and get you back on that field, if it works or not, I'm gonna give it a try because that'll put you in a mind state of these guys are really care about us and they and they're trying to, you know, take care, you know, make sure we do our thing and we can play at the high level to do the, to do the fast, fantastic things we do on a football field or the baseball, (laughs) basketball, you know, basketball court or the baseball, things of that nature. So you knew they were giving a hundred percent to help you get back on the field so you can go give. The rest of the team, you're 100%. So that was one story. One thing I love about that staff, and like they helped me. And then, again, Flea, I tore my quad, my right quad, um, in 2009 from the kneecap up. And I had Pat McKenzie repair the, the quad, basically bring it back. He described it to me. And he had to go grab the muscle because it rolled up my thigh. And he pulled it back down and took a shoestring, basically, and cut holes in my quad muscle. And the upper part of my kneecap to reattach my quad with shoestring and tied it basically tied the shoe, tied a knot, and it reconnected the muscle. And then after that, the muscle organically grew back together to the kneecap in area. And I start my rehab soon. You know, after that, it was a 11 month process and or a nine month process that a lot of, including himself and you know Matt Pat McKenzie and some of the other coaches. Uh, or I say other doctors said we don't know that you if we're gonna be back hundred percent. You know, he was afraid because he had had done two previous surgeries of teammates of mine, Santana Donson, they didn't come back.
1: That's a cool story about the home ointment. Maybe Pepper Burris did use it on Devontae Adams this year. He had the turf toe too or maybe he should have. <laughs> so what do you think about Green Bay against San Francisco? What do you think's gonna happen?
3: Well, we gotta wait and see. I mean but we what I do know going into From the last game, they met. They met up this past season, or this past game, a couple months ago. You know, it wasn't pretty for Green Bay. It was the score was thirty-seven to nine. Offense couldn't really do much. Defense couldn't stop San Francisco offense. You know, in terms of run game and pass game, it was kind of even early. But then San Francisco just blew the thing, the top right off by just scoring and putting pressure on Aaron, getting in that, you know, in their defensive backfield with Buckner. And the other D linemen that are just having an outstanding year for them, along with the linebackers. Linebackers were keying in on Aaron Jones, even when they did run an you know, RPO action, play action, they were on him, you know, so they had a good game plan. Robert, uh, Salah, the defensive coordinator for the 49ers did his homework. I mean, they were able to take away all the weapons for the Packers. And in terms of the pass game, you didn't really see the receivers do a whole lot that game. Um, the only point scored, we're on mostly field goals. And so, and it's, you know, again, it's an entire school game. So those things going to be, I say, I'm going to see, we're going to be able to, one thing we're going to see is going to be, an interesting, it's going to see what type of game plan now that Matt LaFleur and his coaching staff has a second crack at the 49ers as a team, offensively, defensively, and so as a team, what, how they're going to approach it this time. Because last time, they basically had to, once they got down so many points, they had to convert, you know, to be in a passing team to try to get back in the game. But at that moment, you know, at that time it was too late, you know, because the 49ers defense did what they needed to do to uh, keep them out of the end zone.
1: Yeah, let me me give you an analogy here. As a doctor, if you do one surgery or you fix an ACL one time one way and it re-tears or it doesn't work, the second time you look at what you can do differently and what you can do better. And the analogy is the 49ers dominated that first game, so they're probably going to run most of the same things and stick with it and try and do it very well. Whereas Green Bay is going to say, well, what do we change this time? I think that's why it's so hard to beat a team a second time, right? Uh, so we'll see. I'm expecting a real good game there.
3: Yeah, me too. That's what I'm a sports fan at the beginning and the end of the day. So I want to see some good – I hope to see some good football. You got good coaching staff. You got good teams of players that, uh, that definitely want to get to the Super Bowl, you know, win or lose – or say win for, you know, the next matchup down in miami
1: all right well amon thank you so much for coming on and uh thrilled to have you on and chat with you and uh i have to you got to give me have mom give me the secret remedy on that uh, turf toe because that is a hard injury to get through but thanks for coming on pro football doc podcast and sharing some of your stories and wisdom and uh we appreciate you all right we're going to take a quick break we'll be back for segment three of the pro football doc podcast
0: More now with Dr. David Chow, the pro football doc. All right. Welcome back
1: to the third and final segment of the pro football doc podcast. You know, I enjoy meeting new people. I didn't know Amon Green before here, and he's certainly an intelligent and uh, interesting guy. A
2: great guy as well, because I still remember back when I was a little kid, he actually visited my middle school. I went to Greenville Middle School out in Wisconsin. He took the time on one of his days off during a Tuesday and visited all of us little kids.
1: <laughs> all you little kids. What was that, about f- five years ago, Greg?
2: Uh, four and a half. Okay.
1: <laughs> all right, let's do the injury rundown. Uh The rundown's getting shorter and shorter. We could talk about all the different other injuries around the league, but let's concentrate on the four teams that are remaining. Tennessee versus... Kansas City, and then Green Bay versus San Francisco next Sunday. Tennessee Titans. Certainly, I think most people were surprised at how uh, Tennessee handled uh, Baltimore. But this is clearly overly simplistic. Tennessee had a dominant, healthy running back in Derrick Henry, the guy I now call Beast Mode 2 because he is the new Beast Mode. And the Ravens had a very much less than healthy running back in Mark Ingram. Didn't do much. Second second half barely played. First half didn't do much. I don't know. Handful of carries, half a dozen carries, less than 20 yards. Clearly was not his explosive self, and that's what we've been talking about. That wasn't the only reason the Ravens lost, but that certainly was one factor. And the other thing to watch there, not that we're trying to talk on Baltimore, but when you saw that rap on Mark Ingram, that wasn't exactly up in the calf belly. It was more down muscular tennis junction or Achilles. More down low in the muscular tennis junction near the Achilles, a la Kevin Durant. Not saying he's got an Achilles and it's going to tear, but obviously that was a hard injury for him to play through. But Tennessee is actually relatively healthy right now, which is a good thing. I got to shout out, the Titans uh, may have outsmarted me or... Jeffrey Simmons did has done much better than I expect. Some of the uh, Titans' resurgent season comes with Ryan Tannehill playing. Some of it comes with Jeffrey Simmons playing and rounding into form. Remember, he was the top, top D lineman who tore his ACL training for the Combines in February. And when he was drafted, some people panned the pick. And I didn't pan the pick. I said, well, probably a great pick. They're just redshirting him for next season. And they're getting a the top draft pick on Layaway. They picked middle of the first round and you know, he's arguably a top 10 pick so they're getting him on Layaway. Not thinking he would be able to come back and do very much this season, but he has. He's proven me wrong. The Titans have proven me wrong. He was key on a fourth and one early against the Ravens and he recovered that key fumble later on. So he has been a difference maker, and uh, hats off to him coming back in under a year from his ACL and looking good. He's someone to watch going forward. As far as their opponents, the Kansas City Chiefs, a lot of little things, and one potentially big thing, the little things, easy, Travis Kelsey. He had a little knee issue, and then he had a hamstring issue, but double-digit catches, well over 100 yards. He's fine. Travis Kelsey will be fine this week. Their left guard, Andrew Wiley, should be fine with his ankle. Tyree Kill took a pretty good hit to his uh, chest and uh, left anterior ribs. It wouldn't have shocked me if he walked away with a cartilage injury or a slight fracture, but doesn't seem to be the case. And uh, he should be fine. The really big question mark here is Chris Jones. And for those of you who follow me on profootballdoc.com or on Twitter, leading into the weekend, I said, Chris Jones is my biggest question mark. I know Mark Ingram's not going to be 100%, but Chris Jones, I mean, it was a, quote, practice injury, whether it was a basketball injury in the locker room or whether it was actually a practice. It happened Thursday. Limited practice, did not practice Friday. And for a D-end, the get-off is very important with the calf. I was worried about his effectiveness or his playing, and obviously he couldn't go. I suppose it's a good sign that he tested it. So which gives him a chance. But it is far from guaranteed that Chris Jones will play this weekend. And Andy Reid even said he didn't know. Since when are coach is optimistic on injuries. So I think he's maybe 75% not going and perhaps a 25% chance of being able to do something this week at this point in time. I lean towards him being out this week, but back if the Chiefs can make the Super Bowl. And remember, Mark Ingram had over three weeks on his calf. and really couldn't do a whole lot. So Chris Jones is the big injury to watch. Let's move on to Green Bay versus San Francisco, the NFC. Your team, Greg, illness issues this week. Flu or illness went through the team and your left tackle and your tackle, right tackle, Brian Balaga couldn't go due to illness. And it went through a a number of members of the team. Should be a non-issue this week, I think, even if a guy misses practice early week. By the end of the week, when they get to San Francisco, I think everyone really, really should be healthy. Even pregame, uh, Greg, I actually watched the game because there was only one game on. I actually watched the game in the war room with a bunch of friends, former Chargers players, etc. And when we we're in the room and the issue of illness came up, I started asking, it's a playoff game. Does illness ever affect you? and your performance and to a man that said no it's the playoffs get an iv get the meds roll i mean obviously there was something with belaga that prevented him from doing so but expect it to be very short term i don't think the illness for your packers are going to be a big deal and alan lazard had a mild ankle sprain he returned to the game and finished up so i don't see a lot of issues with the green bay packers and once again health has a lot to do with it The Seahawks had issues on their O line. They were down to their third left guard. They had some other issues of guys just coming back. Ziggy Anza missed another D lineman, broke his foot. Obviously. They were without
2: Ayupati as well.
1: Yeah, that's Ayupati was the first guard there. They missed uh, their backup, even went out of the game with a concussion. So they were down to their third guard, a third left guard there. But look, uh, a sure sign is the Seahawks this last week activated a practice squad lineman. Who'd never seen a snap in the NFL. And of course, they were down to three running backs, not to take away from Green Bay's victory, but in terms of injury health, Green Bay clearly was the healthier team over the Seahawks and it, and it bore out the results. But this week will be interesting because I think both Green Bay and San Francisco are really pretty healthy. Green Bay, we went over pretty healthy. San Francisco, D Ford came back, looked good. he Tart came back, looked good. Nick Bosa's issue is not much of anything. Quan Alexander even returned. He didn't register anything on the stat line. Didn't see him do a whole lot. But with a week under his belt, he'll be one week better coming off that pec injury. His injury was four days after J.J. Watt's injury. So the 49ers really on both sides of the ball are as healthy as they've been in a little while. So strength on strength, Packers versus 49ers, old school matchup, both healthy. So I think that'll be a interesting, interesting one to, to see this week. You taking Green Bay, Greg?
2: I can't do it. The 49ers just completely pounded them when they played a few weeks ago. I love my Green Bay Packers, but man, I think the 49ers are the absolute worst matchup that the Packers could get. If they can get past this game, I would actually like them more in the Super Bowl than I do this week. No confidence. Are you going to have your cheese head on this week? Uh, I'm going to have my money on the 49ers, so I'm going to be rooting for my wallet. And you're going to lay, the, what is it, the seven? Yep, seven points. Seeing some seven halves halfs out there now as well. It's coming in on the 49ers as we do this podcast.
1: <laughs> Interesting. Well, you know, I only comment on injuries, so it's strength on strength in, in terms of uh, injuries. I think the key matchup is that dominant 49ers defensive line. If Green Bay can hold up to that, I think it's gonna be quite a shootout ball game. If they can't hold up to that, that's gonna be interesting. Do you think your offensive line can hold up?
2: I don't think so. It's just one of these situations in which there's always one team that has a team's number. The 49ers are that for the Packers. Even back when Colin Kaepernick was at the helm for the 49ers, the Packers could never get past the 49ers.
1: You know, I am going to point out something there, Greg. People say that stuff all the time. Okay. But from Colin Kaepernick days, name one 49er that is still on the team. Name one Packer that's still on the team. Aaron Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers. (laughs) But he doesn't even play against Colin Kaepernick. Okay. I mean, Aaron Rodgers did play against Colin Kaepernick. Not on the field at the same time.
2: That's true.
1: (laughs) You know, people look at it and it was uh, about midweek. What week was it? Week 10, something. I don't know. The 49ers crushed him, right? 37 to 8. Yep. That was uh, week 11, I guess. Crushed him 37 to 8. Dominated throughout. I don't know. My one pet peeve is oh, we have that team's number, like you said. But from Colin Kaepernick days, does anyone in the San Francisco 49ers building right now, from coach to GM to players, any of them, are, are they really the same? Is it really the same? Ultra,
2: Joe
1: yeah, Staley. Joe Staley, one guy. I mean, the 49ers logo has dominated over the Green Bay Packers logo over the last decade. The current has nothing to do with it. The other thing is, and I'm not saying matchups or whatever, when two good teams play each other, I think the guy the team that got crushed has a better chance the second time. It's very hard to sweep a team in a season. Beat them twice. Really hard to beat them three times, right? Why? Because the team that wins continues to do the same thing. The team that loses switches it up and everyone's in the NFL. So the key is, is Green Bay going to do everything they did last time? No, they're going to switch some things up. So will the 49ers be able to handle it? So I don't know. I think it's going to be a good game. We'll see what happens.
2: And but, I should uh, point out that the long snapper, good, is still there for the Green Bay Packers. Well, there you
1: go. Well, that, I changed my mind then. then, then, then Game changer. Then the, the 49ers really have the Packers number and they have no chance. No, I'm just saying the only similarities were the helmets. I mean, they're the logos, right? I mean, and even that sometimes changes. So when you go back and look at streaks, and, you know, this team owns the other team. I think you got to look at what players are there and what coaches were there. Just to say, you know, from five years ago, they've always dominated us. Nobody's the same. That's my little one here. Any other questions here before we get to our beast of the week?
2: Nope, there are no questions. By the way, Mason Crosby, kicker, still on the team. Well, there you go. <laughs>
1: Uh, but you get my
0: point. I mean, oh, uh, yeah. it
1: is. that's why, you know, when when gamblers go, well, for the last 10 years, it's been this. That don't matter since all these... I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo certainly wasn't there. I mean, this is only his hey, second year.
2: the Tigers in college basketball going into Saturday had been 0-59 all-time at Chapel Hill, and they knocked off North Carolina, so you never know. 0-59
1: <laughs> oh, now. That's a long enough streak that was anyone on... <laughs> Was anyone on either team alive when the streak started? (laughs) Nope. (laughs) I I didn't do the math, but I'm just saying. So I don't think those kids cared about that. In any case, beast of the week. I have to roll it back. You know, certainly Quan Alexander made it back, so he deserves a mention. But I got to go back to 40-year-old Josh McCown, coaching high school football, coming off the couch, doing what Marshawn Lynch did, playing in that game last week. And finishing the game with a torn hamstring, avulsion off the ischium that needs surgery. And he finished the game. If you would have told me any player, including Josh McCowan, had a hamstring injury, torn off the bone, I've never had anyone finish the game with that. Now, is it perhaps a little easier at quarterback than at a linebacker? Sure. Versus a running back? Sure. But still... You didn't hear a boo out of him. He wasn't going to give up his chance at that first playoff game and fight all the way to the end. And by the way, the uh, Eagles didn't have another quarterback. It would have been Greg Ward, wide receiver, admittedly a former quarterback. But they only had two quarterbacks active. So when Carson Wentz went out, Josh McCown was the guy, and he finished with an evulsion of the hamstring that needs surgery. So we're going back a week. News didn't come out till after we did the podcast last week, but I think it deserved a shout out as the beast of the week for that simple reason.
2: No disagreement here.
1: All right. Uh, thanks for listening to the ProFootball.podcast. We're doing some new features throughout the playoffs, breakdowns, injury index, field view. Check it out. We're not talents. We don't give you what to bet on, but if you go back and look at last week's, you'll say we, we had a pretty good week in terms of how accurate we are. And some of it translated to wins and losses and overs and unders as well in terms of what we were saying there. So take a look at that and see if you like that. And we'll uh, chat again next week. Uh, Look forward to the uh, games this coming Sunday, AFC and SC championship game special time. And uh, we'll chat again next week on the pro football
2: podcast.